Hello, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another episode of Man Buns and Jesus. Uh, mine is currently down. It doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, my name is Pastor Ben Olschlager. I'm a pastor here in Lake Orion, Michigan. That or that or that, or depending on how Josh has got this recording, uh, is Josh Laborious, pastor in Eastvale, California, uh, where they only experience two seasons, wet and dry. Um, one of those. Oh, hardly call wet that season. It's like two days. Yeah, that's true. It's California. It's not looking to burn. The sign of the apocalypse. Anyway, uh, Josh, what are we talking about today? Guys, we're not talking about the end of the world today. <laughs> I know with that comment, you immediately we want to dive into Revelation, but not today. Um, and no, no, no. not today. Ben, I got I got to tell you, when you introduce friends, I was really expecting you to follow with Romans and culture countrymen. But I no. guess you're uncultured. So, see, I've read that, and that's how everybody opens things if they say friends. And so, I wanted to not do that because I wanted to signal that I am not uh, some overly academic uh, snob or dweeb or something. <laughs> I mean, so you're lying to us, but that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> As, as Ben uh, tried to segue into with his use of the word signal, what we're actually going to talk about today is um, virtue signaling. And this is, uh, we were actually, I think last week we were talking about, um, I think I asked like, what are, what are your pet peeves? Because we were trying to decide what we want to talk about. And this made it on the list because it's one of mine. So we're jumping on. And for those of you who are unfamiliar or maybe even if you have heard this word, I, I want to clarify what I mean when I say virtue signaling, because I think it's something that gets thrown around a lot, like uh, kind of as a dismissive thing. But when I say virtue signaling, I mean you are doing something with the, like, your like primary motivator is to make other people think you are a good person and which in and of itself isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Doing certain things to make people think you're a good person. Um, fine. Like it's, pro it's maybe probably not doing any harm. Um, I think the problem, and this is why it's a pet peeve of mine is because a lot of the people I know who are really big on virtue signaling, are crappy people, right? They do this little quote-unquote virtuous thing to signal, oh, I'm a good person. But then if you watch the entire rest of their lives, they're treating people like crap. They're not, they're not really taking care of what they should. They're not, you know, living up to whatever responsibilities they have. Um, vocationally, they're just not, they're just not doing what they should. And it's like, you're doing this to make people, to try and like trick people into thinking you're a good person. Um, and I'm gonna, uh, I wanna use a non-threatening example, but all the ones that come to mind are touchy. Um, let, let, me, let me jump in here for a sec. I, 
when when I hear the when I hear the term virtue signal, um, my immediate thought is you're doing something in a space with other people, trying to get the attention, trying to get the um, the as as Josh kind of mentioned, like get the reaction that you want, and it's entirely self-serving because, like, the the goal is to do something that for that crowd of people is pleasing to them. And you are going to get their approval. You're going to get their applause. You're going to get their affirmation. To the world, that statement might have seemed, um, you know, controversial or uh, inflammatory. But to that crowd, you're, you're only going to get applause. And that's the only place that you really seem to have or show that stance is in, in that particular group. Um, uh, Josh, here's a, here's a virtue signal for you. If I were to, in uh, a group of, uh, in our group of friends at the seminary, say that soccer is better than football and that football is not actually football. It's a made up game played by silly Americans who uh, can't embrace the fact that there is already a sport called football and it is far superior to this ugly thing that is played in, in schools and professionally around the United States. That would be virtue signal because none of our friends are, well, other than a couple of them, the vast majority of our friends are soccer, soccer players. <laughs> yeah, soccer fans, soccer players. So like, that's not a controversial statement there. Uh, it is a controversial statement if I were to say that to the face of a football player, that's a virtue signal. Yeah, well, and so I, I did some quick Googling on like what popular examples are. Um, none of them were very helpful, but it made me think of, of one that I think is prominent in conser the theologically conservative church bodies like ours. And this is something that drives me nuts. It's when preachers talk about something that is not a challenge that the people in front of them face absolutely but they do it because you know this is something we should support and it's like yes but like you're not really who are you preaching to um i think an example of, can i give an example of that i mean i got an example of it go ahead so I'll, the, I'll the biggest example up. is i see is uh, hypothetical this is a hypothetical congregation hypothetical it's a pretty standard midwest congregation small mostly retired couples and the pastor preaches a, a long fiery sermon about homosexuality it's like your virtue signaling you're saying well this is you know this is wrong your virtue signaling to the people that you know i'm right i'm you know with you or whatever but it's like probably none of the people sitting in front of you are struggling with that particular sin. So you're just, it's kind of like an echo chamber thing, um, which is not helpful. Um, so another example I think is when people are like really vocal about a cause on social media, they're like, they're posting, they're like, oh, we should do this, blah, 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 blah. But then if you, if, if you like 
if rubber meets the road in real life and they actually like say someone goes on and on about how uh, bad homelessness is and how we, but then like they meet a homeless person on the side of the road and they avoid them like the plague. It's like, that was a virtue signal there. That was not a genuine thing. You were just doing this to get that affirmation of, Oh, you're such a good person or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think the, th- the example that I was thinking of when you talked about, the, the fiery preacher that preaches to an audience that doesn't struggle with something. Basically the same congregation, but abortion. I think that that gets virtue signaled so hard by conservative Christianity in America. And it's not that, like, same thing with homosexuality. It's not that it's something that we don't agree with. Like, that stance on homosexuality being uh, biblically sinful, that stance on abortion falling under the fifth commandment and being murder like those are things we agree with but is that what you and the people around you are struggling with because if it is cool then by all means talk about it right yeah you're proclaiming a a difficult message to our people that need to hear it but if you're not if your congregation are all over the age of 60 that is not a choice they are currently facing. <laughs> yeah. Like, and if you need I, to know why, talk to your parents because I'm not having that conversation with you. <laughs> um, well, I, and I think the core of any of these examples is it's, it's a disingenuous ploy mm-hmm. to convince people you're better than you are. Mm-hmm. And I think where it becomes a frustration for me is when it's not consistent with the rest of your life. Mm. And here are two examples that like these, these kind of virtue signaling um, are, are really popular in our world right now. And they're incredibly frustrating to me, probably more like there's some sin in my frustration, right? I should, I should be giving people more of the benefit of the doubt and more saying like, I'm sure they're doing this for positive reasons. Um, so that's that's something I I need to work on, admittedly. But and the two things I'm gonna like the first thing is um, is double masking. Okay. Now, if I'm putting the best construction on it, I see someone with a double mask, and I say they are really concerned about uh, the transmission of COVID, about keeping themselves and their family and the people around them safe, whatever. Um, but frequent, and this is something I, I've had this conversation frequently or recently, you never see someone double masking with two masks that are the same color because they want to make sure everyone knows they're double masking. And a, a lot of times when I see that, I'm like, you're trying to show that like, oh, I'm such a good person. I'm trying to, whatever you're trying to communicate, but then, you know, are you taking care of the people around you? And like, I see a lot of these people, you know, they're cutting people off in line. They're driving like jerks. I almost said something I shouldn't say on a recording. Um, <laughs> like they're, they're not living in consistent, in a mm-hmm. consistent way with the image they're trying to project. Um, so yeah. that's, that's one that really like gets me today. And then the other one is um, when it comes to issues of sexual identity, you, and um, we talked about it kind of on the one side where like you're preaching to people who aren't struggling with it. But on the other side, you have people who are very vocally, you know, 
Um, they're speaking on behalf or in support of the transgender community and those who are struggling with gender confusion and things like that. Um, and they're, they're very vocal about this, but, and I think what they're trying to communicate is I really care about the people around you, which if that's a genuine care, I support it. Like we should care for people around us. But um, when you talk to them about the reality of mental health for people who are struggling with sexual identity and gender dysphoria um, as the DSM-4, I think, identifies it. I, I think the terminology changed in DSM-5, but... It, I, think it, I think it's still in there, but it's, it's classified different. And like um, the, the treatment path is different. So when you talk about, well, we have to take care of people who are struggling with this, but it, it and and you suggest that the best way to do that isn't necessarily just to accept and say and kind of go along with it. Um, if if you are open to the possibility that maybe there's something else going on that we should be um, taking care and having these conversations and supporting them um, through counseling or whatever else, and and they immediately shut that down. What that communicates to me is. Well, maybe you care less about the person and more about the image of I support this movement. Because I think if you're genuinely caring about the person, you're open to the possibility that maybe there's a better way to care for them than what you're currently doing. So th those are just two examples that I, I, I feel like I run into a fair bit that I'm like, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily opposed on its face to what you're doing but how quickly that breaks down with the consistency of your actions and your words and your attitudes um, makes yeah. me really question, are you just doing this for the image or are you doing this because you genuinely care about your neighbor? Um, and I think probably with almost every good thing, there are people out there who do it just to try and look good. And that, that is what I, what grinds my gear so much is when there's such an obvious disconnect with, I'm trying to look like a good person, but I'm living like a jerk. Um, don't be a jerk. Go back to episode one of this podcast for that. But shameless blood. That's the frustration for me. I think. I I think that's a a, a very fair frustration, and I think like, um, just kind of looking at the way that a lot of discourse in the United States has gone recently. It's hard for me to look at anything, especially anything politically related at all, and not just see massive vain attempts to, to virtue signal, right? Like right now, uh, the, the major dialogue on the, the conservative end of the political spectrum is, around voter fraud and there's not movement to prove that there was voter fraud. Instead, people are trying to unseat people in election positions of power so that they can control the elections and like manipulate things. They're not trying to prove voter fraud. They're trying to, in, in a sense, enact it. And on the other hand, you've got people who are claiming that that movement is a massive threat to democracy and 
there's nothing being done. Like there's a lot of bouncing back and forth between activists of, of words, but there's no real movement to do anything if they really think this is a threat. So it's just a lot of talking heads giving their spiel to much applause and nothing really happening. Well, and I think, and this is probably a whole nother episode. This might be a series of episodes, but I think this is, this is a problem. A lot of, we, we run into when we too closely identify with one party or the other. Um, because to clarify, we are conservative theologically in the LCMS. That doesn't necessarily equate to conservative politically. Um, Because the reality is, and kind of if we're drilling down, what's the problem with virtue signaling? It's inconsistency. It's in, you are not operating with a consistent ethic and we are called to a consistent ethic. God, he doesn't do contingent. He, He only love your neighbor when he says, love your neighbor. Like God doesn't put qualifiers on stuff like this. Um, So the example, uh, you know, is your, is your ethic consistent? And, and circling back to what I started with, and that's, you know, we have to be careful when we identify too closely with any sort of political movement is because neither side of the political spectrum, like giving them the benefit of the doubt, assuming each of them, you know, they have some core of good ethic. Neither of them is consistent with it all the way through. And it boggles my, because take the life issue, for example, you know, one side of the aisle is very big on the um, abortion as the life issue. But then when you start expanding that to other aspects of life, they're much less touchy, right? They care less about those other things. And, you know, I can't really explain why, um, but there's this reality of, I guess what I think we're called to, what I believe we're called to, what I know we're called to as Christians is to be consistent in our ethic and to get our ethic from this instead of from a platform, whether that's a political platform or whatever else. Um, So we're called to love our neighbor consistently throughout their lives. We are called to um, support those who are, who are marginalized, who are disenfranchised, who are outcasts, who, you know, for one reason or another have been given the short end of the stick. We're called to care and support them regardless. Like, again, no qualifier. And, and the thing for me is we got to be consistent with it. Um, because like I said, I think that's the core of my frustration with any sort of virtue signaling on either side of the aisle on any given issue is the inconsistency because you're worried about how you look. You're not actually worried about the values you're espousing. So I guess my, my push would be let's be principled people instead of people espousing principles. That's Mm. tagline. I'm going to roll with that one. (laughs) <laughs> that's a that's a good one that that might be a future church mission statement uh or something along those lines maybe like uh, a yeah. character development program mission statement 
Yeah, yeah, like a disciple discipleship thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A little narrow um, for the whole church, but. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, and I think one of the things that kind of makes that, like this whole thing a, a challenge is that um, a big part of what we do as the church is focused on word, right? We, we focus on preaching, we focus on scriptural study, we focus on teaching. So there's a lot of, of information that we as pastors are pouring onto, hopefully you are our listeners and congregants and uh, the people in our lives. And um, there's not always necessarily such a focus on like the actual work of the church, the mission of Christ, the mission of God. And, and sometimes it can be really easy for churches to slip into uh, virtue signal. And it's not just like, I, we bring this up today and I, I think this is true, Josh, but we bring this up today, not because it's um, something that irritates us or not just because it's a massive problem in the political realm, but because it's something that the church struggles with. Um, it's something that, that pastors struggles with, or pastors struggle with. It's something that I'm sure Josh and I will struggle with at some point in our career because it's easy to virtue signal. It's hard to live virtuously. And I, I think what I want to, something that I've kind of, it's been marinating for me. I'm not quite like, we're officially entering the realm of Josh is about to say things that he hasn't like drilled down to the bone on. You should, you should let that marinate. So <laughs> we're, we're going to see where this lands, but I think so frequently when we think about, you know, we're called to live with virtue. We're called to serve our neighbor. We think of doing things like, oh, I'm going to go serve at a soup kitchen once a week, mm -hmm. or I'm going to, I'm going to help sort stuff at a food bank or um, whatever these kind of bigger things are. And those all have their place. I think they really do. But I think even maybe even bigger than that, and what we're called, like, I, I think if, if we look in the Bible, the, the priority is more on living virtuously in the vocations we're already in. So, yeah, it's great to go to the soup kitchen, but, like, if, if I have to choose one or the other between you going to the soup kitchen and you consistently being a good father or a good husband or a good friend, I would rather you be a good father, a good husband, or a good friend. Um, in fact, I, I think that if we, if we lived in such a way that we all were living up to our vocational responsibilities as, uh, as family members, as friends, et cetera, I think a lot of the, you know, the reason we need soup kitchens and food banks and, and all these other things, it's, I think it's because somewhere along the line, line someone failed. Like for every, every homeless person, they were not born without a support system. Someone along the line failed them. Whether that is they didn't have parents who taught them the life skills that they need, whether they had parents who abandoned them, whether when, when push came to shove, they didn't have family or friends who were willing to step up and support them. Um, I, I think a lot of our these big issues that we say, well, to serve, I have to go do this. If people served well in their vocations, 
I think a lot of these other issues wouldn't wouldn't be as as bad as they are. Um, so when we say you know live virtuously, live consistently with your principles, with your ethics, I think the the most important place to play that out is in your daily life, is as an employee, as a family member, as a friend, like. Be an honest employee, be a, be a good employee, be a good friend, be a good family member, be a good parent. Like these are the things that we're called to, I think, first and foremost, not to say any of those other service opportunities are bad, but like, if we want to live consistently, it starts where we live every day. Mm -hmm. I think one thing you said that I want to maybe amend, like, uh, I, I think it would be a miss a misstatement to say that some that somewhere along the line since birth somebody has been failed by someone else. I think there's sometimes where that failure goes back so many generations that it's hard to find the, the first domino that fell that caused homelessness or poverty or oh, undoubtedly what whatever the you problem. You have to go all the way back to Adam and Eve to get the start of that one. Oh well, yeah, exactly. And since then, there's been poverty, there's been brokenness, there's been homelessness, there's been all of these other issues that we continue to struggle with today. And like, we don't live in a perfect world, which is why some of these organizations are great. Why some of these, you know, like work organizations that work with the homeless, organizations that serve uh, those who are, are struggling with food uh, scarcity or who don't have any access to food. Um, you know, these organizations are great and they are great ways to continue engaging in the community, but that should be an addition to the things that are already placed in front of you, the things that are already on your plate that Josh was mentioning, vocationally, those things that you have. And yeah. I think this can sound intimidating, right? <laughs> but I, yeah. I am changed the world. <laughs> I am genuinely convinced that living in 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 alignment with god's design for how we're supposed to interact with each other i'm genuinely convinced in the long run it makes your life easier like um i i think i, I chris and i live in our vocation as chris is my wife for those of you who don't know chris and i live in um in our as husband and wife I think very uh, faithfully with our vocation. Uh, we support one another where we're in the word together, um, what have you. And I think because of that faithfulness, I like we have been together for, if we're counting dating, um, like three and a half years. And we have never had an argument. Now, that's not to say we've never had a disagreement, but like we've never really gotten really ups, like never mad at one another. And, and I think that's because the priority is we, we live faithfully in our vocation to one another. And like, I imagine my life without arguments, without this, this kind of petty squabbling or whatever, I imagine that is easier than having to deal with those arguments and, and things like that. So I, I am genuinely convinced that if you live in your vocation, your life in a lot of ways does get easier, even if maybe some of those individual decisions are more difficult. 
I think there's definitely some element of truth to that. I think um, the the truer that we can stay to our vocations, the less that Satan has at his disposal tool-wise is maybe a, a good way to, to reframe that. Because I don't think it necessarily gets easier. Um, you know, as, as Christians, we're going to face pressure for our faith. And the, the better we live out our faith, the more that that's going to happen. But I do think that there's an element of, uh, you know, things, things do happen that are better, that are blessings, that are fulfilling, that in many ways can be easier if we do live to, to the, the ways that God has called us to live. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm even just thinking like professionally. Um, if people lived honestly and, and kind of, <laughs> and apply that to their profession, there would be a lot of uh, politicians and other, <laughs> like they, they'd be do they, their lives would be a lot easier. Yeah. Right. If like, you live to your virtues, you never get audited by the IRS. Well, hopefully never get audited. By the well, IRS. and if you do get audited by the IRS, <laughs> it's going to be fine because you were honest on your taxes. Exactly. Right. All these people in Hollywood who are who are getting blacklisted or who are going to prison for things they if they had faithfully lived according to a, a proper virtue and not slept with people they shouldn't be sleeping with, they wouldn't be in this trouble today, right? And I I just like and and say you're like dishonest in your job. Eventually, chances are that's going to come back and bite you. It's like I, I, the reason I advocate for virtuous vocational living is because that's what we're called to do as Christians. However, I also think there is an insane level of just practicality to it. You never, if you're honest, you don't get caught in a lie. <laughs> if you don't sleep with people you're not supposed to sleep with, you don't get in trouble for sleeping with people you're not supposed to sleep with. Like, this makes sense to me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's definitely an element of that that your life will be easier on some of those fronts, or should be easier on some of those fronts. So yeah, yeah. That that podcast got a little windy toward the end, but it happens. It happens. We were were close to the topic we meant to talk about, I guess. (laughs) That's good enough. Oh, Uh, I, I forgot to tell you, Ben. I had a uh, congregation member who I won't name, but you know who you are, who came up and said that she was our supervisor. So I was kind of tempted to do something that she would definitely disapprove of on this podcast, just to prove that she's not our supervisor. But I would never do that. Yeah, I I haven't had anyone try to pull rank on me yet on this. I had, I did have a, 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 congregation member that told me that we both need to lose the man butt uh but make me yeah <laughs> uh you know i can you say are, that because i'm safely in southern california <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll sleep with one eye open um that just means anyway. you're winking at them as they cut off your man bun that's a little frightening um <laughs> josh do you have any takeaways this week I think my takeaway is uh, is that line, live, live a principled life, don't live life with some principles. 
I'm going to go with uh, shut up and serve God. To speak less, do more. Yeah. Speak softly and carry a big stick. Oh, never mind. That's something else. No, that's, that's, yeah. I literally just had a Bible study today about self-defense. So, uh, unfortunately, unfortunately could not record or broadcast it because the Wi-Fi was down. See, there's some moments where I'm like, I almost think it would be better, especially if I'm speaking kind of not following a script. It's it's it might be better if I'm not recorded or broadcast, because then if I say something regrettable, it's not going to come back and bite me. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So uh, uh, prayer, prayer concepts uh, for this um, week, just pray that the Holy Spirit works in your life to mm-hmm. Um, to lead you to this kind of consistently virtuous living, because I don't think it's, it's one of those situations where like you learn all the rules and then you live by the rules because so frequently it's not, you're not making conscious decisions to do right or wrong. You're acting on instinct. So pray that the Holy spirit helps put the examples in your life, put the, put the influences in your life that are going to help hone that instinct to do what you ought to do. Um, So pray for the Holy spirit's work there. Um, and prayer, uh, pray a prayer of thanksgiving that, um, that we have opportunities all around us to live, to live out our vocation, to live out our calling, because it, it really is, uh, an experience of joy. Um, at least for me, I guess it might suck for somebody, but I like it. Yeah. I, I'm having fun. <laughs> you got anything else, Ben? Uh, no, I think that's it. Uh, I think, uh, I guess maybe one more, uh, I'd say pray that God is guiding you to speak as necessary, not, you know, like we do and just talk a lot. Um, uh, I think that's it, Josh. So brothers and sisters in Christ, go in peace, serve the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're done. <laughs> <laughs>